This is the Arsenal season review. So welcome gentlemen to this episode of the podcast. We will be reviewing Arsenal's season and of course when it comes to Arsenal, it's never plain sailing, there's always something happening. Bit of a crazy season, up, down, highs, lows, but finishing with the FA Cup was obviously a massive high. I'm joined by Neilers. Neil, how's your day going so far? Yeah, my day's going grand, thanks. Can't complain. How are you? Very well, very well. I'm excited for this podcast. Neil, give me your favourite Arsenal player and your favourite memory of that Arsenal player. I'll have to go with Thierry Henry and... My favourite Thierry Henry moment would be when we played Liverpool in the 2003-2004 Invincible season and a lot of people were doubting Arsenal because we had lost the semi-final of the FA Cup the weekend before against United. We had got knocked out by Chelsea in the Champions League uh, three days beforehand and then a lot of people were doubting us going into the Liverpool game. Did Arsenal have the cojones to go on and, you know, win the league and stuff? And Henri literally grabbed that game uh, by the throat and got us through. And he scored an absolute wonder goal where he took it past a man and Jamie Carragher and Biscan ran into each other. And he slaughtered it past Dudek in the nets. And uh, I think that sort of defined that team. And it was a case of, you know, we are going to go on and win the league here and there's nothing anyone can do about it and Henri just epitomised that to be honest. It's, it's very hard to pick one Thierry Henry moment in an Arsenal shirt but um, I do appreciate that. I also remember some of those sort of, I wouldn't say the same goal, similar goal, you know, V Spurs where he pretty much ran from the halfway line, beat a few players and beat the keeper. Just phenomenal football player. I'm also joined hey. by by Andrew Mearns. Andrew, I don't think anyone ever actually calls you Andrew, so we'll go with Mernsey if that's okay. No, <laughs> I get I get Mernsey. Yeah, that's pretty cool to be fair. Um, <laughs> so what about me, you? It's it's I'm grand. Um, as I said, sitting in the garden shed here to get a bit of peace from the kids. Um, <laughs> but uh, for me, player favorite player. Um, mine's not as like bog standard as Neil's like because if you think of Arsenal you think of Thierry Henry like so uh, mine's Robert Perez I love Robert Perez he's I know he's not the best player to ever play for Arsenal because obviously Henry was better Vieira was better Adams was better in that time but I love Bob Perez he just I, I like to play in the wing when I was young and uh, he just was so good the overlaps the, the way he just strutted about and that sort of arrogance he had and the favourite moment it's nothing as, again, Neil's was a bit, it has, it has more meaning to it. Mine was just the sheer cheek of it. The the chip against um, Peter Schmeichel, against away, I think it was away to Aston Villa 2002. So the, just the way, that just epitomises the boy, like he was just so good. And just yeah. a lot of it from that distance as well. I just, that's, that just for me, I know it's not, 
there's probably more moments and more moments he had that he did, like more important things he did. But that just one wee moment was Robert Perez and the, the wee finger wag as he as he just sort of nodded the head as he just knew how good he was. Like so that that was that was mine basically. Yeah, certainly certainly a world class player. Um, for for a period of time when he played for Arsenal, I don't think really looking back, he seems to really get the credit he probably deserves. No, when people, when people, when people talk so. about the Premier League and the Premier League era and stuff like that, and it, it says a lot as well that um, that year when we won that trophy, that Premier League, that when he lifted it, I think he was on his crutches. Um, was that a cruciate ligament or something he did? But um, when he was on the crutches and he lifted the the Premier League, the the whole team bowed down to him. You know, your boys are like. You know Tony Adams, you know waving the arms and bowing down like that's that's a big big compliment to get. Yeah, Mr. Arsenal himself, you know. Yeah. So yeah, this for me, he doesn't get enough credit, and I just he's my favourite player. Loved him. Yeah. Well, this 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 season, um, I'm sure you'll have a favourite. You'll have your player of the season and stuff to nominate um, as we get to the mm-hmm. close of the podcast. But Neil, we'll start with you first. The season was sort of last year. Transfer markets open. Emery starting a second season, a very disappointing end to the season prior, losing the Europa League final. But he certainly attempted to strengthen the squad this last summer. Brought in David Luiz from Chelsea. Saliba was announced, but that's coming this year. Kieran Tierney was announced. Danny Caballos came in on loan. And, of course, Nicolas Pepe. What was your expectations going into this season, and what did you think of the transfer business? Well, the expectation was to get back into the Champions League places. So you were talking top four and, you know, a, a couple of cup runs. Uh, and, and it was delighted that they signed Pepe. There was a lot of talk beforehand that over the previous number of years that Arsenal were always linked with him and how he was an exciting player. So it was great to get him in. And Ceballos had heard a bit about. And as well, good signing. David Louise came in and that came a bit left field. No one was really expecting that. And then when it happened, we thought, okay, he does have the odd crazy moment, let's just say. <laughs> but at the same time, he's a very experienced player and he's a winner. So that was always something in maybe the last six or seven years that Arsenal lacked was winners. And David Louise is a winner. You know, he won a trophy haul as long as your arm at Chelsea so uh, you know that was a good signing but yeah Kieran Tierney was also an exciting signing as well um, a lot of rave reviews about him up in Scotland and yeah um, it was delighted to get him in because you know the left back position at Arsenal it was one of them ones like Monreal made it his own but you know when Ashley Cole left he had Clichy for a while and then you had Kieran Gibbs and Monreal ousted him and stuff. So it was good to have somebody coming in with a long term plan. Yeah. Don't forget on uh, don't forget Santos as well, don't you? How could I forget Andre Santos? I actually had him on the back of one of my shirts. <laughs> I don't doubt that. He actually scored a very good goal stuff for Bridge, I believe. Did Arsenal yeah. beat Chelsea there five three and he scored a cracker? It's the only thing I can remember him doing in an Arsenal shirt. Well, I'm sure a lot of people remember him for swapping shirts with Van Persie at half-time at Old Trafford. You're like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Mernsey, what about you? Good into the the summer, a couple of signings. What was your expectations to get into the season? Well, I mean, similar to Neil, um, obviously top four, you want to try and get there. And 
a cup run and stuff like that. But I had kind of lost faith in Emery back in uh, the end of the last season with the the way we with the way we finished that um, Europa League game against Chelsea. Like for me, I think he should have went then. But then I kept sort of arguing back and forth with myself, even though like, like he he had to get his own players in. He had you know you know give him the summer at least, give him time, see how it goes. So. I'd already the doubts in my mind about him come the end of the season previous, but yeah, it's just the same thing. Try you know, try to go for top four and see if we can break in because obviously the quality um around us, United, Spurs, Chelsea, they, they weren't exactly lighting the world up themselves. So there was a real chance with that Arsenal squad to get in the top four. Um but obviously that, that didn't happen. But yeah, I was just hopeful. Yeah, top four cup run would have been great. But yeah. But I mean, no. Neil, we'll start with you because I know you were at one of these two games. Season started, you had Newcastle away, you won one nil, and then Burnley, you beat at home two one. Tight enough games, but you're off the two. You're off the two wins off the bat. Happy enough? Yeah, I don't think anybody would be unhappy with your winning your opening two games this season. I mean, Newcastle away is a hard enough game uh, for any team, you know as as they've shown this season, you know, they've beat Man City and Man United and Chelsea up there. So, yeah, that was a good start and a clean sheet. That doesn't usually come hand in hand with Arsenal. <laughs> uh, and then the game against Burnley, yeah, I was at that. Uh, that was great. Uh, I know at 2-1, it, it doesn't really, you know, uh, make you think, wow, what a what a performance. But just all round, there's always a buzz, the first home game of the season, and in August, the weather's always good. It's roasting hot. And it, this sounds so stupid, but whenever you know Arsenal got announced that they were going to be joining with Adidas again, there was a real feel-good factor around the club about that, you know, because the, the new kits out and stuff, and they were unbelievable looking and stuff. So, you know, there was all it was a real, it was a good atmosphere at the Emirates that day. And in the one-two-one, they made it a bit difficult for themselves at the end. Uh, but again, that that's hardly surprising. But <laughs> They, they got over the line, and I think if anyone said they wouldn't be happy with winning your first two games this season, I think they'd be lying. Yeah, I would agree. Mernsey, after these two games, there was the first defeat of the season. You're away at Liverpool. And Losing Liverpool, away yeah. at Liverpool is no... It's nothing to, it's nothing to be yeah. ashamed of, Liverpool, this season. You lost 3-1. I think it's actually quite funny because whenever I was listening to the previews at the time and stuff like that, People were expecting Liverpool to win this four or five. And oh yeah, comfortable. Yeah, yeah were, and it probably was comfortable for Liverpool here, three one. But it's certainly the last sort of fifteen minutes, Arsenal really seemed to make a push yeah, off. They were unlucky with a few there chances. Was, there was periods, yeah, there was periods in the game where like there was positives. You know, you could look at it and um, we played well, we put them under pressure. Pepe looked decent enough on the break and stuff, but um, we just shot ourselves in the foot like we normally do. Um, away to a big six team, especially under Emery. And David Louise gave a penalty away, and I can't remember the other goals we gave away, but I just remember, you know, we could have got something that even even kept them to a draw for a longer period in the game or something. But we just, you know, we shot ourselves in the foot. But I do think there was positives from it. I wasn't too disheartened because, as we said previous. We were looking to get top four. You know, you, you weren't looking to challenge Liverpool. You know, Liverpool were going to be on a different level, and we knew that already. So, I took positives from it. I was happy enough um, with the, the defeat 
you know, the, the week later, I think it was Spurs. That was the one yeah. I was more concerned about, um, which obviously was a, I think it was a draw, was it? Yeah, two, two each. Two two. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that one there again. That one was one. He, he always want to beat them. You want to be, you want to get, um, especially at home. I think that one wasn't it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was more annoyed to draw two each with them than I was getting beat three one by Liverpool. Yeah, I mean Spurs. This they came off the back of winning, or sorry, not winning of um, getting to the Champions League final, and mm-hmm. they, everyone probably thought they would push on a bit, and they seemed to really just either stay stagnant or move slightly backwards, perhaps. So well, this is Spurs. This is what they do. Yeah, <laughs> shots fired already. <laughs> but <laughs> but but yeah, I I know what you mean. Whenever whenever you've your one of your main rivals. A rival not only in sort of location in North London Derby, but a rival in particularly where you want to be this season. And to be drawn at home is a little bit frustrating. But Neil, the week after was probably even more so frustrating with the draw at Watford, or the draw with Watford. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, again, I know you've already spoke about the Liverpool Spurs games. In both those games, they gave penalties away and really shot themselves in the foot. And Watford, again, you know, you're winning 2-0 and the throw it away and draw to each. This became a recurring theme with Arsenal throughout this campaign where the amount of games we threw away and Watford was like the start of that where, you know, you're pretty much home and dry and then just a moment of complete and utter madness and then the game's turned on its head. And yeah, that's you could sort of see at this stage, even though it was still early doors, that the cracks were, were starting to appear uh, for Emery's reign. Um, and yeah, that that result was disastrous, to be honest. Like, <laughs> there, yeah. there was a big thing, but there was a big thing with that result that I think that was the one where we conceded the most amount of shots on goal. It was, and yeah. It, was it? Was it? Was it the whole of Europe or something stupid like that? It was. 31 or something shots on goal we conceded and that for me was the start of Emery's decline to be honest because you could see it on social media and uh, to be fair social media is a good thing but it's also a real negative place and it gives those negative fans a voice and you could see it just I mean probably myself included if I look back through it um, but like to concede that amount of shots on goal against a team like Watford you kind of made them look like they were Barcelona and that just shouldn't be Arsenal. Arsenal are a better club, better team than that. So that was, for me, that's a big turning point in the season for me, that one. Yeah. But even then, sorry, again, like I said, you're talking Arsenal were not doing themselves any favours. They give the penalty away against Liverpool. They give the penalty away against Spurs. They give yeah. another penalty away in this game. And it's like you're literally handing these teams free, like points straight away where it's like if you are just, you know, a bit more savvy and not and just concentrate like you know you could give yourselves a far better chance the, the amount of penalties you were away is ridiculous sorry to interrupt you Neil, but the, the, for me that is where when I say about Emery and I say about Emery and the decline allowing a team that amount of shots on goal what you're doing is you're essentially just sitting in sitting in deep in like a two blocks of say your back four or five throws probably it wouldn't have been um, you're sitting like a big block of players you're letting the other team have the ball and you're saying to them, okay, have a shot from distance, shoot, run at us. When you have players then running at you, it's very easy then to make last-ditch tackles 
And you know, that's when you're giving your free kicks in the edge of the box. You're giving away your penalties because you're letting players run at you. And players like Shaka, David Louise, they, when players run at them, they're not great at tackling. They're not they're not great at you know making the sensible choice and having the composure, like you said. That that for me is down to coaching. If you're going to be told sit back deep and don't go out and attack the players and close them down, then you're going to give away stupid free kicks and penalties. But you mentioned coaching. I want to talk about a game in the start of October. Sheffield United. You went away to Sheffield United <laughs> and Chris Wilder, who, in my opinion, would be in the conversation and probably falls a little short because Liverpool did win the league for, for manager of the year, coach of the year. He's done a phenomenal job with Sheffield United. And this result, at the time, there was a lot more outcry on social media. It was a disaster. It was this. It was that. It was the other thing. Looking at Sheffield United's season and looking at how well they have done this year, it it, it wasn't embarrassing to go to Sheffield United and lose, Definitely. you know, because they ripped Chelsea apart up there. They've took points off other big clubs up there. Liverpool it took a goalkeeping error to get anything up there. So it wasn't maybe as bad as what it was made out to be. But it was really because it was in the midst of this run of a defeat and a couple of draws and then what would happen in the game after... It probably made this a bigger deal than what it was, Mernsey. Yeah, no, it, I think the, the, for me, I was at the Villa game, which was um, 3-2 at home. Yeah. And for a good 70-odd minutes, maybe, I think we were trailing most of that match, and we were 1-0 down. Pepe got the equaliser with the penalty. That was his first goal. But then we went straight up the other end and conceded. So 2-1 down. And the, the, the guy I was there with, Gareth, shout out to Gareth, um, he was. We were just contemplating getting up and leaving. You know, we'll, we'll just go get ourselves a pizza somewhere and stuff the match because, like, it was just so awful to watch. It was just you just didn't see where these players and Emery was going to change it. And um, I think it was Gwen Doozy that actually grabbed that game by the scruff of the neck and managed to get his back at it, and we got the the win in the end. The atmosphere was brilliant when the win, but you know, you're scraping the barrel against the team that then eventually nearly got relegated nearly right down to the, the last sort of game and then you had I think it was was it United but drew one each and we really should have been going there and hammering them because they were not in a good place themselves so you had the Villa game you had the United game and then yeah, what did we have like a did we have a Europa not Europa um, a, a, a Carabao Cup game have a funny feeling we played. Yeah, we we before, played. We beat we beat Sheffield. Nottingham Forest five 0 Nottingham Forest, that's it. So like that was good, but then it wasn't the same team. It wasn't the. It was almost like the B team. So it's it's the lead up to that Sheffield United game, I think, and as well Sheffield United early in the season. No one expected them to be consistent the whole way through. So at the time, it was probably worse. You know, looking back in hindsight, it wasn't, but at the time, it just felt like worse because. You just didn't see where it was going to get better with yeah. Unai Emery, and that was that was the that was the bit that I started, you know, I started realizing that he needs to go. Like, yeah, well, I mean, the Sheffield United game, there was the one nil, and then there was the three two at home to Victoria in the Europa That's League, right. Um, right after that on the Thursday. Now that was key because that was, I, if I'm if I'm getting my fixtures right, that was where Pepe. Pulled that yeah, out of the bag for you, and he, and he, free kicks. yeah, and he looked like, okay, here's the player we bought here, here's the player that we spent seventy million on. I think that was a very key moment, not only for Arsenal but for him too. Give the fans a little bit of belief in him, it gave him his confidence. 
Neil, before we touch on Arsenal Crystal Palace, I think sometimes the transfer fee these days, it sort of creates an expectation almost off the bat. Whereas a player who's young, who's coming from a different league, yes, they cost X amount of money. That's not that player's fault. That's the clubs who've negotiated a fee. Now, sometimes that expectation is unfair. And I feel, with Pepe, do I feel he should have probably done a bit better in his first season? Yes. But do I feel the expectations through the roof that people were expecting him to be hitting the heights of like Hazard or Mane and stuff like that? I, I think that was really a bit unfair. What were your thoughts on sort of on Pepe and sort of the expectation going into this season and really what was sort of expected from him based on that transfer fee? First of all, uh, Mernsey was saying there about the Aston Villa game where Pepe scored the penalty and it was a Bamiyang let him take the penalty to get him his first goal to give him the confidence to kick on from there. But I bet you now a Bamiyang wishes he hadn't have done that because Barty won it by one goal <laughs> and had he not give the penalty, you know, he may have scored it. But, you know, Pepe, yeah, you can see in flashes, you know, that he's going to be a top player. But I do think the ex- expectations for him have been really high. But tell me a player specifically in that position, you know, a young lad coming over. Tell me a player that's came over straight away and let the Premier League up. Did Ronaldo didn't. Like, you know, he did the odd flick here and the odd step over there. But it took him a couple of seasons, you know, to really get going. I'm not comparing Pepe to Ronaldo, by the way, before that gets thrown at me. Just using him as an example. But Robert Perez is another one. I know slightly different kind of player. But, you know, he said himself, it took him a year to get going. And I would judge Pepe more from next season on, especially under someone like Arteta, who wants to attack more. Whereas Emery, you know, like Mernsey already alluded to, you know, we were sitting back and letting teams come on to us. Yeah. So I wouldn't judge him just yet. Um, I, w- I would leave it for a while. When you're saying there about the Sheffield United game, and like Mernsey again had said about how that's when he knew like Emery needs to go. When you're saying there about the social media side of it, and there's a lot of negativity starting, I was at the Sheffield United game up there, and there were a lot of Arsenal fans. There was a lot of discontented voices and you could see already, you're like, mm, there's a lot of fans here starting to turn. And once you lose the fans, there's no going back. Like, And you could sense there, the Sheffield United game, that it was sort of like, mm, if this continues on, this is not going to end well. But yeah, like, it, it was it was a difficult time around then. You know, just with the variety of results, they not even up the Sheffield United, again, you mentioned the United game away. That was the sort of game where you're thinking, if we go up there and get a result, um, it would really, you know, boost confidence. And we got a draw. That was a miserable, that was a miserable night at Old Trafford. I was at that one as well. And it was, it, uh, it was absolutely hammered it down that night. It was, you're soaked to the skin and it, and it wasn't a great match. It was pretty dull, to be honest. Yeah. But following up these games, in my opinion, is one of the key games of Arsenal's season, specifically for Emery. It was Arsenal 2, Crystal Palace 2. There was a lot of stuff happened in this match, so we'll maybe we'll spend a bit of time here. Before we... <laughs> I put When I was doing my notes, coming up to this, I was putting Emery under pressure, and I had in brackets beside this game, this is the beginning of the end. This is officially the beginning of the end for Emery, in my opinion. I, f- I felt the pressure was building, and this was the point where the fans were like, some of them anyway, were like, no, this is enough. We stop now. This ends now. But... 
before we go into the what happened in the match and of course the the massive talking point the Shaka incident VAR did not help Arsenal here and it turned potentially it was already a bit of a boiling point and a bit of a powder keg but the result certainly didn't help the fuse being lit on this and a VAR which I felt harshly ruled out Arsenal's equaliser or Arsenal's winner sorry if that had finished 3-2, I think there's a slightly different opinion on this match. How much, yeah. Mernsey, did VAR and that incident, specifically just the VAR at this point, affect what happened after this match in terms of the fans, in terms of the atmosphere and everything else? Yeah, well, the VAR was a joke. It was the, was it Callum Chambers? Um, and it was Callum Chambers, was he pulled down? And then the ball yeah. went to Socrates, he banged it in. But like how they looked at that and spent any amount of time looking at that and thought themselves, well, he fouled the other player. When really, like you could argue the other way, that he was fouled. But because of that, like even those fa- fans that maybe weren't on, maybe weren't ready to turn on Emery, weren't ready to, to say, right, that's it, we've had enough. Even those guys, that pissed them off. That really got the people. And I think it just then added and heightened the people, probably people like me who was already like, we're done with this, he needs to go. And it just it just was so negative. And the booze at the, at the end of the whistle and all, it was just terrible. As you said, I think you're, you're right. It's the, the beginning of the end. And it was followed pretty closely by a 5-5 yeah. was it 5-5 five, five or 5-4 5-5 five, in the cup an absolute cracker actually and yeah, yeah Liverpool you know, went through in penalties but yeah this to me was the beginning it really lit the fuse I thought just so much negative um, energy at the, at the stadium and for me I couldn't see another way you know past that like yeah Neil over to you because I know you'll have some strong opinions on this I was at the time I said Shaka can't play for Arsenal again after what happened, I just thought it's not good enough. It's not acceptable. It's not professional. Looking back, maybe it was a little bit harsh. I do think it was right and correct to take the captaincy off him and for him to miss a few games. But that incident really epitomised this match and probably the beginning of your season, really. You know, right up to probably December anyway. You had the fans turn on Chaka. You had Chaka's reaction. You had the result not going your way. It was an incredible time, this particular match for Arsenal this season. What's your thoughts? I've always said that Shaka has been a scapegoat for Arsenal for well since he signed, and that's four years ago. And he's an easy target. And I've again I've told you before, like a lot of the Arsenal fan base do my head in. And I think <laughs> the way a lot of them get on is out of line. And I'm sorry, but I don't care how bad a player has performed. You do not boo your own player or sarcastically cheer when they get subbed off. Because if you turn on your own player, what kind of example are you setting to other fans and stuff? Whenever, you know, you have to take the slag off other uh, clubs, other fan bases, but yet your own fans are booing your own players. Like, what? how the hell does that look? It looks awful. And then what, what is going to entice that player to put all his efforts in to like getting us over the line or winning us a game whenever the own fans don't appreciate you? Now, Shaka, I've been 
sold short on numerous occasions under the Wenger era. You know, at the end, because you were playing Shaka as like a hold midfielder. He is not a hold midfielder. And then midfields, he was just swamped on his own. And now I do admit there is always the odd skew-with pass. But regardless of that, you see when they started cheer when he was going off, I was just like, what are you doing? Like, why are you getting on like that? It was flipping embarrassing. It was you also the same in the the Aston Villa game as well, because he was brought off um, when we were 2-1 down. And I remember saying to Gareth at the time, like, like as much as he had, he was poor, you can't be booing him. Like it's and to hear it live as well, it's not nice. Like because you had the people who were doing it, you had the people who are probably more of the same opinion as us. Who like you know, like, what are you doing here, lads? You're booing your own player. It's not helping. So like, yeah, I totally agree with that one. Like yeah, I mean it's not the first I was, time. I was there, embarrassed. Yeah, I there's, was embarrassed. There's the example with a Bouye several years prior as well. Oh yeah. So yeah. there are. I I feel Arsenal's a very in terms of their fan base, their fan base seem to there's a there's a negative like there's a negative portion of Arsenal's fan base, a toxic portion, and I think we all know what who we're referring to without giving them any publicity. And, no comment. Yeah, and they seem to attract other people to just join in, and I feel like yeah. that's sort of what's happened here. But Mernsey, I'm going to stick with you with this one. I've always felt, especially the last maybe ten years, at least ten years. Arsenal constantly have an individual who's probably hammered by the media, by press, by the fans, when in reality, the entire squad, and now you may disagree with me here, the entire squad probably just isn't good enough to where you want to be. No, I agree. Totally agree. Um, And like at the end of Wenger's era, like um, obviously Shaka came in under Wenger, and like I think. Shaka just got so much abuse, probably by myself as well, because as Neil said, he does do the odd ski with pass and stuff that you're like, come on here, like that has to be better. But um, to get on his back the way they did um, under Emery, I almost felt sorry for him as well because you and I, Emery, didn't help him in the matter because he made him the captain, but the whole, like, was it five captains nonsense? And um, asking all the players who would like to be their, their captain. They voted Granite Xhaka because he obviously has a presence about him. He obviously has something behind the scenes that we don't see that they very much you know respect him and you know to let then the players choose. Once it got to that point where he did what he did, which you can't really excuse, you know, like throwing the shirt down, telling the fans where to go, like that was bad. And I agree with you when you said like I thought then he couldn't play for us anymore. I thought it had to be it done. But it, it, it also wasn't helped by the management because it left the manager no choice but to strip him of the captaincy because you cannot have a captain do that. But like, it just he shouldn't have probably been the captain to start with, uh, in my opinion. And he should have had the, the swingers to pick his own captain. And that didn't for me that didn't help. It's not just Emery's fault. All this that happened and it was the fans, obviously the negativity and all that as well. But yeah, I just think. There's always been a scapegoat at Arsenal. At the minute, I think currently it's probably Mesut Ozil because of the high the high wages he's on. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree. There's always been that scapegoat, and for me, Shaka was it, but shouldn't have been really because he is a very good player. It's interesting too that, as you said about the manager should be picking his own captain. I 100% agree with you. It's interesting that in, in Man City as well, company left and Pep had a vote. 
and the captaincy uh-huh. ended yeah. up in David Silva. And I'm not I'm not putting it down to that's why they didn't win the league, but certainly all of a sudden the leadership in the changing rooms a little bit different. And they're your mm-hmm. your twenty odd points off the top of the league. I don't think that made the total difference. I'm not saying that, but there's certainly an element there to what's going on in the change room in terms of terms of your leader. But to finish off this this sort of topic, Neil, I'll finish off with you. And it's something quite interested in. Mernsey's mentioned that there's always been someone who gets hammered, and he mentioned Ozil. But in this particular season, up to this point anyway, it seemed to be Shaka. And it's quite interesting now. He's went from public enemy number one, really, and really associated with the downfall of Emery, to being probably very crucial for Arsenal under the new management. Just we haven't got the Arteta yet, so don't want to delve too much into Arteta, but... It's it's a very interesting full circle for Shaka this season, from going from a public enemy to probably being one of the first names on your team sheet. It's a remarkable turnaround, but you can see the difference that Shaka makes when he plays. When he does not play, Arsenal are nowhere near as good a team. And he didn't play in the game against Aston Villa, and and at the end of the season we were dreadful. Then he came on and we played better <laughs> I know we're still compete but you could see straight away the difference that he makes and he controls the midfield and is good at spraying those passes out but it works when he has somebody around him you know to maybe do a bit more of the ball winning and stuff and the team's a lot more balanced but when he plays obviously because he's left footed and stuff the team is generally a lot more balanced and yeah like you've got to give full credit not only to Arteta but also to Shaka because you know, he, he could have walked away, and he didn't. You know, they convinced him to stay and stuff, and it's worked out for the better because, as you say, like he's one of the... Do you know what? I would actually say, obviously, a Aubameyang would be the first name in the team sheet. I would say after that, Shaka would be the next name in the team sheet. He's He's been unbelievable the second half of the season. He's a, Like, he, he literally... If he does not play, Arsenal's, you know, overall stats drop considerably. They're nowhere near as effective a team without him. It's it's interesting, as, as you say, Neil, and I agree with you. He has been crucial to your second half of the season under Arteta, and he does deserve credit as well, because it can't just be a manager putting the arm around him. He's had to dig in and work himself to get back to where he feels he should be. But, Mernsey, last question, and then we'll move on from this. Shaq mm-hmm. has been crucial to Arsenal the second half of the season. Now, is Shaka? He's obviously good enough for your team, but is he good enough to consistently play for Arsenal to go where you want to go? Um, that's a good question, actually. Because, yes, I think he is. Because where we want to go is top four. But let's say we get to, let's say next season, the season coming, we get the top four. Um, is he then good enough to lead the team in the midfield against you know, you'd like to see your Champions League teams and the the push for... I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say Arsenal are going to try and go for the league, but that's every top team. That's where they want to be. They want to be going for the league title. Um, so, especially with Liverpool, if you look at them, like they were miles off only a matter of three or four years ago. And now I look at them, so like it's not... It could happen. But, um, yeah, so you want to be going for the league title and stuff. And for me, I think... He is very good, but I would rather have someone else there who's just more of an enforcer, more of a you know an all-round just fantastic ten out of ten every week. But then again, it's hard to get those players. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think I'm saying that probably because I grew up in an era where I watched 
Patrick Vieira week in week out, and even beside Vieira, you had you had Petit, who I thought was class, and then you had Gilberto, who was I still don't think we've replaced Gilberto. Yeah, he was so good. So I'm kind of spoiled, and that's I also think that's part of the reason why Arsenal fans are very negative and very it is. like it is past remarkable, remarkable because like we were so good and we were pretty much spoiled. You know, it's the early Wenger days, so there's a high expectation on, on Arsenal. So, yes, I think Shaq is good enough for where we want to go, where we want to go because I think we need a couple of seasons consistently in top four. And by that, by the time we get that under our belts, he's probably going to be, you know, pushing thirty. And you could be looking at maybe if he wants to stay, keep him in the squad. But you know, you'd want some young blood to come in there and dominate that position. But yes, yeah. finding that player is the problem. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Gilberto there, and, and I'm sort of going off on a bit of a sideway sort of step here, but he's another one that I feel never really gets the plaudits he deserves. When people think about no, Arsenal and their centre midfield, they think of Patrick Vieira. Um, but really, Gilberto's a little bit of an unsung hero. I have a, have a, a friend of mine who's a Brazilian, and he would always talk to me about Gilberto in that 2 squad. And now you talk about the Ronaldos, the Rivaldos, the Ronaldinhos, the Cafus, and all this sort of stuff. But Gilberto was an integral part of that World Cup winning squad. Uh, massive, yeah. And it, it really doesn't get the plaudits he deserved. But moving on to what I've titled Nightmare November, Neil, <laughs> you drew with Wolves, you drew in Portugal with Vitoria in the Europa League, lost at Leicester, drew at Southampton. The big one was the loss to Frankfurt at home and Emery was away. Talk to me, November in general, but sp- particularly Emery and the departure of Emery at the end of November? Do you know, it's weird. November always seems to be a sticking point for Arsenal over the years. Like It's it's like this mad month. Even going back to the Arsene Wenger early days, Arsenal always struggled in November. Like This is honest, this is like a, a well-known thing. And it just seems to be when... November hits, you know, the breaks go on, albeit they were already on long before that this season, like, to be fair. But, yeah, um, it just nosedived, didn't it, really? Like, it really did just nosedive, and under walls, no going back. It was like the writings on the wall. It was even after the Leicester game, there were so many people clamouring for the fella to be sacked, which you don't want to happen. Like, you know, it's... You, you never want to see somebody lose their job. And I think Emery actually, you know, like he, this is what people forget. And football fans are really fickle. And people always think in the short term. But I know it obviously didn't work out that way. You know, it's fine lines. But see, for Emery, Arsenal were so close on getting top four last season and got to a final. And people have easily, I've just dismissed that and forgot about it whereas if that had happened if we had have you know not ballsed up against Palace you know near the end of the season and then obviously the Brighton game people would be saying when Emery got top if he had got top four in his first season they'd be like what a manager what a guy but suddenly they miss out and it's like the knives are already out for the fella and then you know a couple of bad results and it just it, it goes to shit from there and that's exactly what happened. And but November, yeah, it was it was disastrous. I mean, the Leicester game straight away, everyone was like, giving Leicester the plaudits. You know, early doors during the season, Brendan Rodgers was doing really well. Jimmy Vardy was banging the goals in, and it was at that point people were like, 
Leicester as a club are miles ahead of Arsenal, which is the biggest load of rubbish. But as a team, you know, they were obviously better than us this season. And it was that game where people, I think, and even the board and stuff were thinking, you know, Leicester, you know, are on the upward trajectory. We're on the downward trajectory here and something has to change. And then inevitably it did after the Frankfurt game, which was another game we were winning and then lost. There's a recurring theme. So we just... You know, there was that many, even the Palace game you were touched on earlier, that was another game they threw away. The amount of points that had been thrown away, it was beyond incredible. So yeah. I, I think you never want to see someone lose their job, but I, I, I think, well, obviously it's been vindicated now, but there was no going back. He lost the fans, and once you lose the fans, like I said, even though the Arsenal fans are spoiled brats, there's no going back. And Mernsey, before I come to you with this, Neil's mentioned a lot mm-hmm. of things there. A lot of it I agree with. A couple of things, and maybe I'm not sure he's right on, but at the end of football's opinions. But he mentioned towards the end of last season, the fans being fickle and they were so close to top four. In my opinion, yeah. it was the manner of the performances at the end of last season, not just the losses. Yeah, What's that, that's your, what I was going to... Your, your thoughts on Emery leaving and, and the things that Neil has said? Well, um, Neil is obviously Mr. Positivity when it comes to Arsenal. He's... <laughs> I can remember that. I can remember the days and telling me that the Nielsen's a world beater and you know Gervinho's the best winger in the world. You know all that kind of stuff. But he'll he'll barely have a word to say wrong. Barely have a word to say wrong about an Arsenal player, which is at that all. But um, like if the the if we had a got top four, if we hadn't lost the Palace, if we had a done this. So the, obviously there's a lot of ifs there, and I I hundred percent agree with him. The fans will look back and went, Do you know what? We won the Europa League. We got top four anyway. You know, wow, great season. But it was the manner. Like I sat for seventy odd minutes of a game in the Emirates, just thinking, I have no idea. Looking at this team, how we're going to change it. This is a team with Pepe, Lacazette, um, Aubameyang, Ozil. Ozil wasn't even on that day. He wasn't even in the squad. But that this that was the thing you. <laughs> that's the thing that you said there. Um, like it's the manner in which we did it. Like you just didn't see any sort of progression. You didn't see a philosophy. You know, one week he has a back three, then he's a back five. Sometimes he has players playing in one position and another position, and you just didn't seem. He just seemed to change tactics. It, like mid-game, I think the Watford two each he changed it three times tactically, and then came out afterwards and said it went exactly the plan. For me, that it, that was the problem with Emery. It wasn't like it wasn't that he was not getting some results because he was, and he, he did all right to get to the final in the Europa League. It was it was the manner in which he was playing and the style in which he was playing, and it just it just it had to he had to go in the end, obviously. And I think I knew my I knew it was like going to happen definitely. Whenever I think it was the Leicester game when Neil actually texted me, and I think when I seen the words Neil Campbell. Said he has to go. I nearly, I think I remember Sandy at the time, and we were laughing about it. Should I send this to the Arsenal um, boys in charge here that Neil Campbell <laughs> actually agrees that the manager has to go? No, no, no. But I think well, what I meant well, it wasn't that he like I want him out, but it was just like he's lost. Yeah. Uh, it's gone. There's no like I think there's no going back yeah. here, and it was that but case. When, like. but, but when you the when you your type of fan when you when you want him gone, that was it. He had. He had no nowhere to go after that. Like, 
And they should have done it then. That's the thing that kills me, actually. They should have done it then, that game. Because there was a, a, an international break after that. Yeah, And it would have right. given Arteta the, the, the time to settle in, if it was Arteta that we were wanting at the time. But would have given him time to settle in. Would have given him time to sort of, you know, get his philosophy known to the players and get them all in for chats and sort of what he expected of them and stuff. But, of course, we, we rumbled on for a good month or so afterwards. Yeah. I mean, the key thing was, yes, even even the Frankfurt defeat and everything, and that sort of spelt the end for him. The important thing with that was, it's a cup game, and you're through to the next round. So the result, shocking. The manner of performance, shocking. But you're through to the next round. Jumberg took over, and uh, sort of interim charge. You were linked with quite a few managers. You were linked with, obviously, Brendan Rodgers, who was doing well with Leicester. You were linked with uh, Nuno um, from Wolves. You were linked with Allegri. Um, I know I read things about Allegri wanting to come in at the start of the season rather than midway through, so that maybe burnt that bridge. But Arteta was named, Arteta was talked about. I don't think, even when I was looking at it from the outside, I didn't think Arteta would have been the one that you went for. But your link with sort of those four were the four that I sort of noticed the most. Were you happy enough? I don't want to spend too much time December because there's quite a lot of meat I want to get into later on. But in terms of Arteta being appointed... Were you happy with that appointment? Mernza, you first. Um, yeah, yeah, I was, to be fair. Um, because originally, before Emery, there was talk of Arteta um, after Wenger. And I, I remember being a bit sceptical, thinking, wow, that's a massive shout if we go for an inexperienced manager like that. And um, I remember reading articles from Pep, articles um, from Wenger, sort of everything that came back again when we actually did harm all these sort of like positive vibes about him and what he's like and what he's you know his tactics and what his style and philosophy is all about so I remember reading stuff before Emery thinking great stuff this I might actually be down with this stuff that let's go for it and then they they announced Emery and he was like a last candidate and I I remember thinking well do you know what that's probably the safer option you know this guy's won titles at at Sevilla in in the Europa League He's experienced. That's probably a good signing, but obviously, flip it back up to the November then, and after Lundberg, and then when Arteta's announced, um, I was reading more and more about him, and obviously everything Pep had to say about him. But, you know, a lot of the times when Pep's given, um, you know, someone says to Pep like, "Oh well, he obviously learnt from you." Pep Guardiola is very, very fast to say, "Well, no, I learnt as much from him as he learnt from me." He's as much part of the Man City success as Pep was. So all these things, I just thought, you know, this guy's, I think this guy could be good. He captained the team. He won the FA Cup. He just knew what it mean, meant to be an Arsenal player. He, that, that little, there's a little interview sort of clip um, Arsenal released when he signed. And he's walking in, he's shaking hands. He knows everyone. He's walking into a room. I think there's Per Murdersacker and a couple of guys and, he was just straight in asking questions about something like, do we have drones? You know, even that I had a giggle at because the boy was only in the building five minutes and he was already looking to get started. He just he just oozed this sort of like like aura around him. And still to this day, the, the players talk about it, the pundits talk about it. He has something about him. As soon as he spoke in the the first ever press conference he, he did for Arsenal um Sort of online, like I just sat and watched it. I was gripped, you know. And whereas you and I, Emery, I think it was a bit unfair for Emery because 
he got a bit of a the piss taken out of him, the whole good evening stuff and the way Sky treated that and even Bellerin, one of the games when he was sitting with him at a pre match Europa League game and he even said it and like he had no respect from players and media. But I didn't want to listen to him because he talked a lot of gibberish and obviously that could be a language barrier as well, but at least with Mikel Arteta, as soon as he speaks, everyone's listening, everyone's gripped. And when he says about his philosophy and how he wants to play and what he wants to do, I, I, I absolutely love the boy. Um, and I was I was really happy that we signed him because Emery, one good thing about Emery being so bad was that it couldn't get worse. <laughs> I'm sorry, that made me laugh. <laughs> but it, it, couldn't get, it couldn't get worse. And that actually kind of, I think that give, I think it let a little bit of pressure you know, ease from Arteta because even if we went in there and he, he didn't do what he ended up doing, it was still it's like if we hadn't won the FA Cup this year and he had a finished ninth or eighth or whatever, like no one would have said much. Like they'd be like, okay, let him get to the summer, let him get rid of the crap that we don't need, let him get some players in. Exactly the same as how we treated Emery yeah. after the first year. You know, let him get the summer, let him see what he can do, let's see if the club support him. So definitely, yeah. He, he, he had the pressure relieved, I think, from Emery being poor, but yeah, no, I was the, very happy. One of the key things I always remember was, at the time, they talked about when Arsenal were trying to get Arteta, and Pep done an interview, and they were asking Pep about it. Pep really didn't want him to leave. You know, he yeah. really wanted him to stay, but he said he, would, he wouldn't stand in the way, but I would love him to stay. And it really showed the quality between them two, and how much Pep rated him, because... When you listen to any player who's play, pay, played under Pep Guardiola, he's so hands-on and he's so intense. It's almost like you would feel like you wonder where the other members of the staff actually get a word in. But the fact that he was so desperate to keep Arteta, to me, said a lot yeah. about the relationship. But I I actually, after the hiring of Arteta, I actually watched your first game at home to, or away to Bournemouth. And I know it was a draw. But there were just mm-hmm. little nuances in that game where I could see the tweaks already and the differences. And I thought, this will be a very good appointment. Obviously, it followed up with a defeat with Chelsea. But, Neil, the big turning point, and one of the, probably, the, in terms of your positive results, to me, there's three that stand out of this season. New Year's Day, Man United at home, 2-0. you really seen a, maybe like an Arteta's arsenal for the first time properly yeah um, I know Mernsey was already listing all these pluses and positives about Arteta he did miss out that he has immaculate hair and a great presence <laughs> don't forget that he is a beautiful man uh, yeah the United game was brilliant I mean they blew, blew United away or yeah doors, really really did really did well, well, do you know what it's, 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 it's a wee small detail but the goal Socrates scored, I absolutely loved because he was like practically on the line and he smashed it in at like a hundred miles per hour. It was an unbelievable finish from right on the line. Just as he smacked it in so hard, I thought it made me laugh like typical Socrates. But uh, yeah, they played really well. And you could see there they had like a blueprint that he was wanting to implement. And, you know, at, at that stage, you sort of thought, hey, you know, both of them are around a similar, similar level then. And, uh, you were thinking, you know, there's definite, uh, there's definitely things to be positive here down the line because you knew they were going to be ups and downs with Arteta coming in, you know, because of the some of the squad that he'd inherited and stuff, you know, it, it hasn't worked out or whatnot. And 
it was going to take a while, you know, to implement his style. But, you know, I think getting that result in early doors against a, a rival um, for, like, similar positions and stuff, uh, and the sort of, I know it only finished 2 0 in the end, but Arsenal, they ran United ragged in that game. It's especially the first half, the second half, it was just like a controlled performance. And it's sort of, you know, it, it made you think, you know, down the line, you know, we could be a force. It was nice to get that win in early doors, and especially against somebody that it is one of your big rivals. Yeah. I mean, it's funny watching that Man United match, the 2 0. I know a completely different style, but it reminded me of Mourinho when he first came to Chelsea. And what I mean by that is they raced into the lead. They knew the game was sort of dead and finished and provided there was no mishaps, nothing could go wrong. And they really came out the second half and they just controlled it. Said we don't need to go 100 mile an hour. We don't need to keep the foot on the, on the, on the gas. We don't need to do x y and said we just need to control the game and it sort of reminded me of a very old-fashioned Mourinho performance in that context i followed up don't th- ever mention <laughs> that man's name on an arsenal podcast ever again okay <laughs> <laughs> i mean it followed up with three draws so maybe it was a bit of um people got a bit excited too quickly but you could definitely see what arteta was trying to do i felt in sort of those three draws there was definitely stuff going on there that Put very positive stuff and I think I said to you somebody's got to get a tank in at some stage from Arsenal and it happened in February Newcastle got hit for four that was coming and that really sort of give an idea again of what could potentially could happen under Arteta after a prolonged period of time when he's working with the team and stuff the Europa League exit Mernsey against mm-hmm. Olympiacos it sort of brought everything maybe crashing back down to earth again yeah um, yeah, definitely, yeah, because like the way in which we took the lead, the, the, which should have been it, that was um, did it? What was it? it was one nil away, was it? And then yeah. Liverpool get beat two one at home. Yeah, was it? Yeah. So the the goal to make it um, the, for us to go two one up was the the Abomayang one, and you thought at that point, right, we've rescued this game. Because we made them look good. Like I don't know what we were doing that night, but like they, they, they were like a, a Greek stoke. They weren't. <laughs> they weren't uh, like I say made them look good, but but just I don't know. We just should never have been playing the way we did. Which is obviously a blip in the radar. But then they concede after that goal, and then um, to miss the the chance was it Aubameyang again? I think he missed like an open net. Like yeah, he did. It was a very like, strange just, one for Aubameyang to miss. It was a strange. It, it was a strange one, and I think because it was strange, and because there was like an individual error from a player like Aubameyang, as much as it was gutted, I wasn't too worried about Arteta because again, when I said about Emery, when you were losing with Emery and drawing games, you didn't see where it was going to go because you were just like, this is every week. At least with Arteta. You could see that there was the progression, like even the draws you spoke of earlier. They were against Sheffield United, who again were given a lot of plaudits to, and Chelsea. So you were getting better against these better teams. Yeah. There was there was there was progression. There was a philosophy. It just was a bad night. That was just an example of a bad night and poor individual performances. And he got some things wrong that night as well. But you no, know, yet you were more willing to let him off of it. Yeah. Um, even though it was a big a big thing actually to be fair I'm kind of glad we got knocked out because I would hate to have won the FA Cup and then have to go play in the Europa League I just I, I can't be I wouldn't have been bothered with that to be yeah. fair I mean 
I think the thing is too, we all, always have to remember, we, we looked at the sort of the Man United game where you blew United away at 2-0 and a reason why I thought that was so impressive was here is Arteta with Emery's team putting in this, yeah. getting this performance out, whereas Solskjaer, and there is similarities between the two and how they took over and the, and the difference you know they've made at their respective clubs, but this was an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer team that had 18 months under his management versus an Arteta team which had maybe three weeks so that to me was huge and I felt like this was maybe a bit of a blowback to the Emery era this sort of performance and it really sort of showed maybe the work he still has to do but I mean after this FA Cup win and a win at West Ham um, which two good wins before Covid stopped the season now Neil we the season started back and it was actually a Funny enough, it was a game that we really thought for, that Arsenal had a chance in against Man City when it started back. It went down 3-0, but before the injuries and the red card, it did look a very even match, to be totally honest. But a 3-0 defeat and a moment of madness from David Luiz. What, what were your thoughts on this game? Moments of madness, you mean? Yeah, yeah, true, true. This really, uh, it really epitomises David Luiz that this match, and ironically, Man City in the FA Cup also epitomises Luiz in the positive sense. So we'll come to that in a second, but specifically this match. Yeah, uh, they were in the game because Leno was making all these unbelievable saves, but it was <laughs> they had, they had done well in the sense that they kept City out. You know, they were defending resolutely. And then they lost Shaka early doors. That was that didn't help. Then Marie went off, uh, injured as well. And then David Luiz came on, and the ball flicked off his knee, and obviously Sterling ran through and scored. And then the sending off, it just it turned into an absolute disaster in the end. But um, I thought going into that game that Arsenal had a chance. Obviously, I'm Mr. Positivity and all that, so I thought <laughs> we're going to go in win, win, win 5-0, no sweat. But no. I think you rub uh, off on people because there was a few of us in our little group chat were all thinking, I Arsenal have a chance and I'm convinced it's because, you, because you're subliminally putting messages in there that Arsenal are very good. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting them in and rub it off people. Uh, but no, but realistically, you know, there was a chance because everyone knows City on their day can blow anybody away. As you know, epitomised by City the week after they hammered Liverpool four, but you thought with Arsenal, you know, they were a bit more savvy under Arteta, and City really didn't have anything to play for, and you thought, you know, there's a chance here, but it it just it really did just go out the window as soon as the first goal went. Then it was like, oh, it's game set match here, like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and um, it again like David Luiz, you know, a couple of moments of madness, and then obviously. This is going to lead into what you're going to talk about down the line here, but of course you got the usual. Louise is a clown. He's hopeless. He's this. He's that. Arsenal are useless. The usual crap from the media, and um, yeah, but then that that was turned on its head a couple of weeks later when they played them in the semi-final, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm actually quite a huge advocate of David Louise, as if anyone knows me well knows. Do I admit there are, his lapses of concentration are not good enough? For a, for a defender playing at an, an elite club but as Andy Long mentioned in our FA Cup preview podcast and I thought he summed up perfectly the things that David Louise does well he's world class at and it's just though, I wouldn't say it's just those because they do cost games 
it's the concentration levels, it's the mistakes. But as Andy quite rightly said, you don't play at elite clubs your entire career if you're a bad football player. And the the FA Cup semi-final really summed up the quality side of Louise. And I think that's really been maybe the task of every manager Louise has played under. And it probably is a feeling for all of them, but it's also a feeling on his part that he's never been able to maintain those levels of concentration. Three yeah, it's, like three. The, it's like the, yeah. the, the, the loss away to City, he came on and like it just looked like, you know, like when you're playing out your football and someone says, here, warm up. And you're like, right, 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 sweet. And you run down the line, you do a few stretches and they're like, are you ready? I'm ready, yeah. You're just busting to get on. Yeah. You know, I think it was a bit of that. He just ran on. And like sometimes in that instance, if he's not focused and he's not prepared properly and he's he's just mad. But yet, you know, the Liverpool match with the um when we won at home and that city semi final, like he was superb. Yeah. You know, the final as well, when you give him a player to go up against and be physical like Giroud and they give him a battle, he's fantastic. But it's it's just getting that balance of you know being up for it and not 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 giving away the penalties and the stupid things that he does. So yeah, you gotta hand it to Louise when he makes a mistake. He makes a cataclysmic mistake. <laughs> yeah. that, he, he doesn't have bad. He doesn't have bad games. He has disasters. If you know oh. what I mean. <laughs> he has like he's that's the thing with David Louise. I I like him and rate him and and like he is a winner, but. There's no in between. He is either like an eight or nine out of ten, or like a two. Like yeah. there's nothing yeah. in between. Like, what do, what do Will say about David Luiz? In fairness to him, Europa League final with Benitez, Champions League final with Di Matteo, Europa League final with Sarri, FA Cup final Di Matteo, FA Cup final Arteta. He turns up on these big, big games, which is which is ironic because it seems to be in the league. In these big, big games, he seems to make his most calamitous errors. But in these cup finals, he's there and he's on it. But see what you're saying about him turning up? I also think that's part of why I think managers like him, managers play him, because it's not just that he turns up um, in those big games. Obviously, that's a massive part of it. But if you think about that City game, um, he came over to was it Jess Shreves or one of the Sky Sports guys, and he like like demanded could he speak, you know, and do an interview. He wanted to publicly p- apologize for you know that defeat, and he, he was like, "It's my fault. Um, I take responsibility. You know, he shouldn't have done what he was doing, and he's he's sorry for the mistakes, and you know he'll work hard to rectify it and all like that." Is a it's a very big thing to do. Yeah, I, I think, think that says a lot to the fans, doesn't it? It says a lot to the fans, and I think that's why he doesn't shy away, and why he's probably making mistakes. Because a lot of players make the mistakes he's made. They wouldn't be about. They 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 ended up in League Two somewhere and just quit because he's just he, as as Neil said. It's when he makes a mistake, it's a big one. But he shows a lot of character, and he, a lot of the a lot of the players seem to really like him. I think that's why Ortega's decided you know to extend his contract because. You might as well have someone like that around in the dressing room and the presence, and the like. I seen one as well. I think it might have been his Instagram. Um, after the FA Cup win, he took his time to get the third choice keeper, um, Macy, and he he was just chat, chatting. He had the arm around him, saying, "A lot of this guy hasn't played a minute for the club, uh, first team football, but a lot of people don't 
realise the hard work that he puts in and the effort that he puts in, and he deserves a lot of credit because without him, the other two goalkeepers wouldn't be ready, and they wouldn't be you know able to perform week in week out without how much he puts in. So like he's even going out of his way to like you know make sure people recognise the hard work some of the players who don't even kick a ball for the club and. I think that shows how good of a personality he has. Yeah, I've heard that you know on the Chelsea side and, and different interviews and stuff, different players talking about Louise in the dressing room, and I've heard that he he certainly is a leader, he's a motivator, he's an encourager, he likes to put the arm around the younger players and stuff, and I certainly think based on Arsenal's younger players, and we'll come to that later in the little surprise I've got for you is coming up about some of the younger <laughs> players that he seems to be very good at getting the arm around someone. But following up this disaster against City was, in my opinion, probably definitely a worse result because of who you were playing and, again, the manner of the performance. Brighton 2, Arsenal 1. Very, very poor. Touch on it briefly, Mernsey, and then we'll move on to the finishing the season with yeah, the yeah. FA Cup, Neil. Um, Brighton, it was... Obviously, it was a disaster, as you said. Worst result because... Like if you get beat by City three like, nil away, no one's gonna really bat an eyelid, especially Arsenal. But that Brighton game, like um, there were so many talking points, there were so many things that went wrong. You had the Leno injury, and at the time, you just thought to yourself, "My word, um, you know, losing a, a goalkeeper of that ability is going to be disastrous." And I even said to Neil as well, with the text at the time, and I'd said I didn't fancy Martinez at all. And obviously he's proved me wrong, but like, um, like yeah, that game, it's just a game that you shouldn't be losing. And it was a disaster all round. The individual performances, the, the style of which we played, like the goals which were conceded, it, the, oh, it was just, it was just disaster. And at that point I was thinking, right, what, what's the crack here? What, how do we change this? Where are we going to go from this? And, but I wasn't too downhearted again because, I kind of thought to myself, some of the you know, players that we had, just the squad that we have isn't good enough. And when you start changing a few players and leaving a few players out, um, I think, was that one where Shaka didn't start? I have a funny feeling it was Guendouzi and Ceballos, maybe in the middle, and or Torreira, I can't remember exactly. But you know, it made me realise that our squad is nowhere near good enough yet. And for us to compete week in, week out, and actually go and do something and make top where we need to get you know rid of a lot of crap and bring in some you know Arteta style players. So yeah. as much as I was annoyed by it, I wasn't. It kind of highlighted you know we are way way off because a few good results and a few sort of before lockdown a few good results and you know I think it was West Ham would beat as well and like positive positivity at the start of the City game you could get carried away with thinking Arteta is going to you know win the league next year but. It was a bit more humbling, you know, brought us yeah. down the earth a wee bit. Yeah, I mean, right after this game, a couple of games in between and, and whatever else sort of happened, there was the FA Cup game away at Sheffield United, which I'll get Neil to touch on in a second. But, I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of the league season, you lost to Spurs, which is always hard to take. Yeah. You beat you beat Liverpool, which is great, which is always nice to do. And you relegated Watford, which is, I'm sure, very, very nice considering the, the the game earlier in the season with the record number of shots on goal and stuff. So I was sort of up and down finish there to your league season. But Neil, really after the after the City and the Brighton game, it was really all your eggs were in one basket, which is the FA Cup and some considerably outstanding performances. Sheffield United away and winning, 
the game I want you to focus on really is, is City before we talk about the Chelsea final. But City away, or it's not City away, sorry, City at Wembley is one of the is the second of the three games which I think really epitomise where Arsenal could go under Arteta. And it was the 2-0 semi-final win. Aubameyang with an absolute cracking goal, cracking team goal. David Luiz put on, put on one of those David Luiz world-class performances that we know he can do but needs to do more consistently. But the FA Cup run and, and the semi-final against Man City, certainly very happy for you. Yeah, but sorry, before we go on to the FA Cup run, I do believe you mentioned the Watford game there, and I think it would be a massive disappointment if we did not mention the <laughs> Watford game for one reason and one reason only. I do remember a certain Mr. Troy Deeney mugging Arsenal off a couple of years ago because we don't have cojones. Well, isn't football a funny old game when it's the team with no cojones that sent you back into the championship? But yes, moving on swiftly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the FA Cup, even the game against Sheffield United, most people were giving Arsenal no hope of going up there because Sheffield United are a different animal at their home ground. Like, I mean, they are a good side. And I think by this stage, a lot of people were starting to give them the respect that they rightfully deserved. And Arsenal were written off in that game. And even when they conceded near the end there, and you're thinking, flip extra time, here we go. And a lot of people thought at that stage, oh, this will be it, Arsenal will absolutely crumble here. But then they go up and Ceballos scores a good goal. And you're thinking, happy days, we're in the hat now for the semi-final. But again, the semi-final will get drawn against City and nobody, nobody, none of the pundits, they're all like, oh, it's a City-United final. Like everyone, all, you went and looked at all the predictions, all the previews, it, they all said City-United final. Nobody gave Chelsea a hope, and they certainly gave Arsenal like like none, not even a, a slimmer, a slight slimmer of hope, nothing. And it was like, right, you know, we're the complete underdogs here, like so. You, Arsenal had nothing to lose at all, and they went out and put in. I mean, you know, the, the City game was the best performance of the season. Yeah, I would agree. I know, obviously, the, I know, obviously, we won the final against Chelsea, but the City game because everyone knows the level that City can play at. They can blow anybody away on their day, and Arsenal. Have been, I mean, Arsenal have been on the end of some absolute spankings by Man City over the past few years. In fact, was it not in the previous six games we'd scored twice and conceded twenty against them? Like it was <laughs> yeah. something. It was obscene. Like it was obscene. And it's like flashbacks, the flashbacks to the Champions League with Bayern Munich all over again. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the City game, they were excellent from start to finish, from 1 to 11. They were superb. Maitland-Niles, he went under the radar that game. He was brilliant. He did a really good job in Nullifan, you know, quite a lot of the City attack. Uh, Martinez has been a rock since coming into the team. And that's no, that's nothing against Bert Leno, who is also being brilliant because he, he came second in our player of the year um, competition there and yeah like a Birmingham you know he, he came up with the goods again you know a, a couple of great goals and David Louise was magnificent uh, and again another one a player that I rate highly Kieran Tierney was outstanding yeah. in that yeah. game you know the defence in general and now Sorry, I know we touched on scapegoats earlier on. There's a player we haven't mentioned yet, and he does not get any credit at all. And this goes down to good coaching as well. Uh, Mustafi has yeah. been exceptional since Arteta came in. 
and he was unlucky, you know, to go off with the injury and obviously missed the final then down the line. But that is a player that, again, in that game was was superb. And beforehand, Mustafi had actually sort of became like, you know, a comedy figure. Like, you know, he was anything could go wrong, did go wrong for him. And it, his confidence was shot to pieces. But since Artez came in, he has been like a totally different player. He's been outstanding. And you're like, mate, where where is this player been hiding? Like, I mean, it's it's a totally different player. But again, in the semi final, there he was brilliant, and Shackler was brilliant. The whole team was brilliant. The bench yeah. was brilliant as the, well. The semi final um, was probably your, as you said, your performance of the season. But, but yeah, like, it was the, it was the way in which we scored. It was the, the yeah. first goal. Like, it wasn't just that we grabbed a goal from a corner or a set piece. It was passed out from the back, controlled with composure and everyone knew where they were going, creating space, moving. It was exactly what Arteta has probably been drumming into these boys and they went and did it against the team that does that to everyone else. Yeah. I think it was 18-odd passes and then a yeah. goal. And I think like, I'm sure Pep Guardiola is sitting there like thinking, great, how, I mean, what am I meant to do that? I, like, I, I think that's, that's the funny thing with Pep, isn't it? He seems to get, he hates losing, but if a team plays really, really well and wins, he seems to be okay with it. If yeah. you know what I mean, like when when a play, when a team does a really good goal like that, he seems to be like, you know what, fair enough. Um, I remember one of those ones for for Conte, the counter attack that Hazard scored at the end, they make it three one. Yeah, yeah, I remember him sort of nodding his head and sort of smiling, being like, okay, fair enough. And I felt sort of similar here with with sort of the Arsenal goal. I think if he's going to get beat, I think he'd rather get beat like this than get yeah. beat by Big Sam's long ball type. <laughs> um, but that's the, fight- the thing, Potsy, in the Man City game in the semi-final. Like we talked about it earlier on in the season, the Liverpool game, the Spurs game, the Watford game. The list is endless. They weren't doing daft things. Like Arsenal earlier on in the season, particularly, would have given some the opposition a chance because they would have given away a dopey penalty early doors or something stupid. And but in this game, they were all switched on, and there was no. No ridiculous moments, no calamitous defender, no here, do you want a free shot on goal, here, have a penalty. There was none of that. Yeah. And it was it was refreshing to see because usually you're sitting there with your hands over your eyes, you know, <laughs> peering through your fingers, like, oh, God, what's going to happen now? Yeah. There was none of that. Like, And then even the goal, the score, the wonder going with the 18 touches, you know, when they were playing it out from the back, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, should we be doing this? Because, <laughs> like, we don't have those players, you know, you know, with the guile and the way that the City players, for example, can caress the ball and all that sort of stuff, and it's so slick. And you're sitting there going, like, should we be doing this? Because with the things that have happened to Arsenal in the past, it would be our luck that somebody would trip over their own feet or something like that. Yeah. He was starting to run through score, but it all paid off. And as you say, Pep Guardiola was actually like, hmm, I'm okay with this. Like, I mean, it was an unbelievable goal. It was like Wenger ball back in the day. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's, it's, it's funny as you're talking about Arsenal playing out from the back. It, especially against City, it's sort of stuff you don't really expect a team to do. I mean, Real Madrid done it the other day and conceded almost immediately from how strong and how fast the City press is. So that's what I feel makes it even more impressive, was this is the type of play which almost plays in the City's hands, the way they press. But Arsenal done it so, so well that it worked. But you moved on to the final. You had Arteta Lampard. I thought it was a brilliant final. Uh, well, a brilliant final in terms of the, the two young managers and stuff. And before we go uh, into that, I just want to say something. I was listening to a podcast the other day from Cathedral of Sport. 
there are a new couple of new guys who've got a podcast out. It's very good. But they mentioned something in passing, and I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant point. They were talking about teams giving younger managers a chance. You know, Lampard coming in at Chelsea, Arteta coming in at Arsenal, even as of yesterday, Pirlo going in at Juventus, rather than the usual merry-go-round of managers which teams seem to hire. So, I mean, it was a really interesting FA Cup final, I thought, from that perspective, with two young managers, with two sort of legends or icons at their at their club. But I didn't think it was the greatest game in the world. I felt it was settled by a brilliant piece of magic from Aubameyang. Chelsea, really unfortunate with the injuries. thought the referee had a disaster with the red card. But regardless of anything, I felt the moment of magic deserved to win the Cup for Arsenal. Happy enough, of course, with how the season ended and obviously winning the Cup puts Spurs into the qualifying stages, which I'm sure you're delighted about, Neil. Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't give a monkeys about Spurs, but uh, what I will say about the FA Cup final, I see all that stuff you said, the ref having a nightmare, the injuries, the Chelsea players and stuff, I do not give at all. It was just about winning. I didn't care how we played as long as we had our hands in that trophy at the end. Like, uh, yeah, like again, you know, when they went 1-0 down, if that had been maybe early doors in the season, they'd have panicked and it would, it would have collapsed. That's That would have happened. You would have found within 25, half an hour, they probably would have been two or three down. But, you know, they stuck at it, stuck together. They didn't, you know, change their game plan because they were targeting Aspilicueta. And yeah. you could see that before the penalty. And then, obviously, they got in behind and then he, he brought them down and stuff. Um, so they didn't panic. They stuck to their game plan and it, and it paid off because, obviously, they won in the end. Like, And the, the, the finish from Aubameyang, like, he scored the second goal and you just, like, just... Flipping well, break the bank for this boy. I pay him a million quid a week. I don't care. Just make sure he signs the damn contract. <laughs> like, yeah. I, oh, I, I mean, do you know what? Right, you'll get players that will come through your club, you know, every so often, and it's the same whether it be Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea, Spurs, Aston Villa, Akron, and Stanley. It doesn't matter. You'll get a player that comes through where everybody just loves, and you know. With Arsenal, you've, you've had Ian Wright over the years, you've had Thierry Henry, and it's just like, this boy is in, like, he is in that regard, you know, over, like, legendary, predatory out-and-out strikers. Like, Aubameyang is, like, a god at the Emirates, and they need to get him to sign the contract, and you're just watching him play, and that finish, like, Zuma didn't even do badly, you know, we tried yeah. to get him, you know, because he thought he was going to turn inside, but they, they told the, you know, the skill, you know, to turn the other way around, and then to dink it over the keeper. And it wasn't even, you know, from like a good bit out. You know, they were still, to get the ball back down again. You know, it was an unbelievable finish. It really was. And it's just like, God, we need this boy to be tied down to a contract because yeah. he's something else. He's world class. And do you know what? The word, well, the two words, the phrase world class is batted around far too much. But Aubameyang is world class. And you can see the difference that he makes to the team. Any club in Europe would take them in a heartbeat. Yeah. Anywhere. Yeah, Mernsey, obviously you're a striker yourself when you play. You'd be, you'd be delighted with that finish, of course, and happy with the FA Cup in the end to finish your season. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, because it's, it's when you have a bad season in the league, a lot of the time you'll never remember that the, where a team finished. Would it be 
anywhere from second, really. I mean, it doesn't even matter if you finish second or eighth. Half the time in five or six years' time, you're never going to remember where each team finished, but you'll remember the FA Cup. So although we had a disaster in the league, to finish with a piece of silverware, another trophy, it's brilliant. Absolutely loved it. Like And um, the touch on the Bomiang as well. Um, as much as the contract... A lot of people say because of his age and the, the the length of the contract and the amount that they want to pay him, you could have an Ozil situation. But I don't think that's going to be the case because, as Neil said, everyone loves him, be it the fans, the manager, the players. He's just top, top class. He's got a great presence about him. And he's very, very fit. For the age he is, he, um, I'm going to scut him here, but he doesn't get injured much. And like we're not going to find a player... Um, if we add up the cost of his um, his contract over the next three years, we're not going to find a player for that money, and then the wage you would have to pay him. You'd be talking. I think I've heard values of around forty million. His contract will cost us for the next three years, but you're not going to find a player that good for forty million. Yeah. And I think he needs a hundred percent break the bank, get um, get him signed up. I mean, I, I genuinely think it's done. You know, just from wee hints from the Arsenal admin team, like the amount of times yesterday and the day before they've tweeted about a bummy I think it's three or four times now in a row. Yeah. Um, he himself has tweeted about you know being at home and picture him at the Arsenal and stuff. So, yeah, um, I think um, get him signed up is just absolutely crucial for going into next year. And I was chatting to someone today who made a good point and said that like you try and sign another top class player who's thinking about coming and joining Arteta's project, you're not going to... That, that player is going to be more inclined to come to Arsenal if Aubameyang's there for another th- three seasons. Yep. Whereas if he's gone, um, another player might think, mm, do you want to join this sinking ship here? You know, I, Do I want to join a rebuild project? At least with him there, you've got that pool for some of the bigger players and bigger names to come in. So yeah, get him signed up. And obviously Trophy was brilliant at the end of the season though. Yeah, I agree with what you've said. I mean, if if you don't win the league, you could finish second, then it's great for your bank balance and great for the finances. But in 10 years' time, nobody remembers second. No. Um, people remember who won the Cups that year and who won the trophies, and Arsenal ended up with a trophy. I'm a huge advocate I of that. Apparently, North London's white. <laughs> I mean, just to, just to move on with the little surprise I've got for you is the wrap-up. And I'm, I'm going to go one each here. I have organised an Ask the Audience questionnaire for you both in terms of for Arsenal. So the first question is for you, Neil, and it was submitted by Alan at AlanQLM on Twitter. And Alan's question is, what do you think of the fact that your team is universally attacked by the sports media for being poor at the back and exciting going forward, yet instead of spending money on the defence... You're willing to spend 100k a week. You're willing to spend 100k a week to sign a 31-year-old winger on a three-year deal. Uh, he's turned. He's turned 32 today as well, by the way. Okay, 32-year-old winger William. <laughs> I see. I've seen a, a happy birthday, William. 32. <laughs> no, it's a good question. So William is a top player. Like he is a top player, and he's a free transfer. And I think the th- what Arteta wants with him is that he's an experienced player, which will help, you know, the likes of Saka, you know, who's going to be playing in that position in the long term, or you know, who's going to be playing the table in the long term. And so, 
William, if it's confirmed, you know, I'm not going to say it's definitely happening until I, I always maintain, until I see them standing at the Emirates with with the shirt on, holding the scarf, that's when I know it's uh, definitely happening. Uh, William will be a good signing if it happens because he's experienced, he's a winner, and he is still a very good player. I do agree with what Alan you know, was saying there. Arsenal's defence does need fixed up, and I think they are going about it the right way. You know, they've got Louise tied down again, experienced player. If they get what Arteta wants to do, drilled into the players, you know, like they did do for the Man City game, where they are fully concentrating and stuff, that's a plus. They've brought Saliba in, who I don't want to put too much pressure on the young lad. But he is a monster. Like the size of him, that's something that Arsenal have lacked for years. Is you know like a big strapping centre half. And you know the last. Do you know what? You'd probably say the last big strapping centre half. Now I know Murdersacker was you know big tall defender, but he was one like playing you know the ball out from the back and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know like a big combative centre back. You know you're talking Saul Campbell, Kolo Toure. Like it's been a, a good while yeah. since Arsenal have had yeah. that. So Saliba. You know, they seem to rate him highly. He's coming in to be linked with another couple of players. Uh, but I, I do agree, they do need to shore up at the back. But I have full confidence that under Arteta, they will do that. But yeah. I think had William involved a fee where we had to sign him, you know, or sorry, to, uh, to pay to Chelsea to sign him, I don't think that would have happened. But you'd be madness to turn down signing William. Because again, like Mernsey said about Abamyang, you know, he's like really fit and stuff, so is William. And he he'd be a good a good signing, even for the short term, maybe a couple of seasons or whatever. Um, but that can only benefit Arsenal in the long run, especially now because we're gonna be in Europe next season as well in the Europa League. Yeah. And that's a load of extra games. And if you want to challenge whether it be in the league where the win trophies finish top four, you do need a big squad and it would who in their right mind is going to turn down signing a world-class player? Like, William's quality. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So, it'd it be honest. But he, I do get what he's saying. We do need to show up the defence, but I have no doubt that we will. Okay. Right back, Tony Adams. <laughs> <laughs> Mernsley, one for you. With the potential yeah. arrival of William, would you are you yeah. worried that that could stifle the growth of a Saka, a Reese Nelson, and any younger players that could potentially be coming through? Um... Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it's like I see the point. Yeah, but I don't think so because I've touched on it once or twice there that you need to have a big squad. Um, there's games where we have played. I think Villa was a, a proper nail in the coffin for me with how poor our squad is. He made about six or seven changes, and the players coming in just aren't good enough. You know, when we're bringing in Kalazinac for say Tierney. The quality difference is massive. You've got um, up front, you take away Lacazette, you've got Enkedia, who's not a bad player, but you know we need to have squad depth. You need to have one or two players in nearly every position that can fight for each other. And also, I think Bellerin's another good example where he had no one really pushing him except for Maitland-Niles, who's kind of used all over the show. And he didn't have an actual right back to push him. As soon as Suarez came in, Cedric was like, you could see Bellerin had to up his game a little. And Suarez started a few games as well. So I think it's good to have you know, an experienced player and competition. So some of these young lads might just think, right, I've made it. I'm on 50, 60, 70,000 pounds a week. I'm 
living the good life and I'm happy and you know playing for a club like Arsenal you need to be pushed they need to be pushed right to the limit and a good player like Williams going to going to do that and it's also a no-brainer as well if you can get rid of Mkhitaryan maybe an El Nene you've or, there's around nearly 300 grand a week you've freed up yeah so give it given Willian 100 grand a week's no-brainer like yeah okay moving on Neil should Aubameyang leave has Shaka done enough to reclaim captaincy or would and should Arsenal move in a new direction rather than backwards well, hopefully Aubameyang's not going to leave. Uh, I know what you mean, because obviously uh, throwing the armband down, it doesn't exactly set a good example, does it? But Shaka is a leader, um, but would he? But then, do you know what? Like, whenever one of the games of Aubameyang came off, you know, near the end of the season, he handed the captain's armband yeah. to Shaka. So... You wouldn't know. Maybe. It's hard to tell. Would Arteta go down that way? But then I think a lot of the Arsenal fans, and even the ones that would have been booing him at the time, I think they know that Arteta, or sorry, that Shaka, you know, has been one of our best players since Arteta's came in. So I don't think that bridge has necessarily been burnt. But realistically, if Aubameyang did go, who would you give the captain's armband to? Like, realistically? Yeah. Because the team yeah, is actually very young. You go with, you with, I'd, go with Tierney. Yeah. I'd give it to Kieran Tierney. Yeah. Uh, well, that's who I... Long-term, long I could see him maybe being Arsenal captain in a, in a few years' time. You know, maybe when I'm he, 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 he already has, like, a... Like, a, like the fans are already, you know, sold on him. Like, he's the... Him and Saka are the... the, the, the what is, what's the word I'm looking for? The most shirt sales um, of the new new top. Yeah, um, Kieran Tierney on the back is obviously Neilder as well. He's at, at his age, grown man like, still getting name and number in the shirts like. But uh, <laughs> he's, here, uh, here, I'm actually wearing it right now. I have the shirt on with Tierney on the back. <laughs> but that's it. He's, he's just, he's literally just a lot of the fans have just warmed to him. He's yeah. got that classic British um, sort of like mentality of just, you know, shirt tucked in, get stuck in. You know, gives everything for the team. Like I could see him being a captain. Really good. Yeah. Put some stuff in a Tesco bag. Put some stuff in a Tesco bag. Why not? <laughs> I mean, he's, he goes home and plays his PlayStation and stuff. He hasn't seen London. You know, everything he says is just is just brilliant. Like, he's just a top top professional. So I could see them if they had to go down a different route. I could see Tierney. Okay. Yeah, I, I do think I, I do think down the line Tierney has a good shot of being captain, but. If Aubameyang left, I don't know whether or not they'd give it to him straight away. But if they did, I wouldn't be against that at all. But I, I think let's, it, I let's think it just, would be I think it would be Shaka as captain and Tierney as vice captain. Yeah, that's I that's that's, really, that's, that's what I think would happen. But I'm yeah. hoping that doesn't happen because I do not want Aubameyang to leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next question um, for for you, Mernsey, is from yeah. Jimmy Jinch on Instagram. <laughs> he has asked do you consider it a flawed transfer policy to be going for a player like Coutinho when you still have Ozil on the books and you'll already a force going forward and lack a proper defensive midfielder with the deal for Thomas Party not being finalised yet um, yes I would agree with that but I would agree with it because it's not so much the type of player Coutinho is I think he would be a great player Back in the Premier League, I think I 
I would have slagged him off at some points in his Liverpool career because sometimes like he was just he went missing for days, weeks, you know, games. You just he just never really showed up, but then he always showed up with some sort of top bins strike from 30, 40 yards out. You know, he has that quality. He was superb. So no doubt in the quality of Coutinho, but where I think it's flawed is that we're we're getting into bed with the likes of um, I can never say his name right, but. Kia Jurakachim or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, that sort of super agent. You know, you've got David Louise is represented by him. Cedric, who signed, is represented by him. Uh, William is represented. Catino is, is represented. So we're, we're uh, Edu, our technical director, and they're good. They're very good friends. So we're kind of going down that route. And uh, there was a bit of an uproar when we let go um, a lot of the um, scouting staff and boys at like. Uh, who've been there for decades but I'm not too annoyed because yes it's sad to see someone go who's been at the club for 20 odd years but clearly in the last 10 15 years we had, nothing's been working in, in, in terms of the league we've not won the league now in 16 years so maybe it is time to change it up and go down a different route but I do think getting into bed with like super agents and you know, signing this player and I'll get you, you know, this other player or I'll sell a player on for, you know, big money, which Chelsea managed to do with this guy, Kia. Um, a lot of the time, like, they got big money for Ramirez and Oscar, yeah. all down to him and his deals. But I do worry a little bit that we're kind of going down that route. And as I said, I would be more worried about that than it would be um, the likes of Coutinho because I do think um, we will get um, another midfielder and I do think we're going to get another centre-half in. So, yes, if we didn't sign anyone else and that was it, then, yeah, I think that would be flawed, but I think Coutinho would be brilliant, to be fair. Yeah, fair enough. Neil, next question is mine. Does Arsenal under Mikel Arteta excite you? He's got a lot of faith in young players. For example, Maitland-Niles started the semi-final, played exceptionally well even with the form of Saka being handed the number seven shirt, he stuck with Maitland-Niles. He rewarded performance, not just potentially you know, the name and who the fans particularly wanted. And Kerry didn't really play at Leeds, but he came back to Arsenal. He's played, he's scored a couple, he started over Lacazette. There seems to be a bright future for youth under, under Mikel Arteta. What's your opinion and where do you see Arsenal going in the league in the next two years or where would you like to see Arsenal be in the league realistically in the next two years yeah but again I know it was the question you know we got sent in by Alan there uh, talking about William and stuff he has a lot of young players coming through Saka in Keria he's got Martinelli coming through you know he's bringing Amelie Smith Rowe back um, he's got Joe Willock but it's good to have you know, a bit of experience sprinkled throughout the side because you can't actually win things. I know there's that famous quote from Alan Hansen, you can't win things with kids, but you can win things with kids if you have experience in key positions, which is what United ended up doing that 95-96 season. They had the kids, but they also had, you know, Roy Keane and Eric Cantona, you know, players like that, you know, in and around the team. And, you know, you, you need that bit of experience sprinkled, you know, in certain positions across the side. And Arteta is wanting to push these kids through. You know, he's got Maitland Niles was brilliant there in the semi-final and the final as well. As we've already mentioned, Saka's been handed the number seven straight. You have Martinelli coming through. Yeah, the future's, the future's bright. And um, as I said, I think, next season 
if Arsenal could get into the top four, that would be a good season. Uh, again, I don't I don't want to mention them, but I feel like I'm going to have to as an example because I don't like them, which is well documented. But Liverpool, um, as Mernsey said earlier on, they were miles away. Um, Klopp came in, you know, he's, he implemented his style, and whether you love him or hate him, he's a successful manager. He's a good manager, and you know they have they have gone places, and they are now at the pinnacle of English football. And that is obviously where Arsenal want to go. And if you know. It goes to show that if you do have careful planning, you know you bring bring some young players through, um, you know you have experience here and there, and it's like a slow slow rebuild. You can get back to where you want to be, but the target for Arsenal next season has to be to get back into the Champions League places, and then once you get back into the Champions League and at least have secured it for even a couple of seasons, then after that you can kick on and try and push for you know winning the league. Um, but realistically, next season, I think if Arsenal were to finish top four and have a good crack at the Cups, I, I don't think anybody would complain. Well, I'm sure there'd be plenty that would still complain, <laughs> but I think anyone uh, who's realistic would accept that as a good season. But that's not long-term what you want to be, obviously, yeah. before that gets thrown at me and said, oh, it's a lack of ambition, all that nonsense. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a slow rebuild, you have to be realistic. And I think Liverpool... Are a under club are a prime example of that where they have you know rebuilt slowly but surely and now they're reaping the rewards of it and I would like to think that's what Arsenal and Arteta have in mind and I'm confident that that they will they are going places under Arteta. You, you look at you look at Klopp's first sort of match when he came into Liverpool. He said it's a project. He said five years, give him time. Two players who are still in Liverpool's books who started that match were James Milner and Nathaniel Klein. Everyone else is particularly either moved on or is a sub or whatever. Henderson didn't play that first match, but he's still there. And there is a bit of a overlap of what I look at Arsenal. I really do see something similar to Liverpool. You've got a manager coming in who's good with fresh ideas, who wants to change a philosophy, and he really does need the time and the backing and the move players on to get his own players in. So, yeah, I do see that comparison. To finish up, Mernsey, with no more questions left, but... I want to talk on particularly the PR own goal from Arsenal the other day. I think it's a bit of an injustice if we don't mention this. The laying off of the staff members, it hasn't gone down well. It doesn't look good, particularly after yeah. the, the finances announced from... And not so much having to go at players' contracts, because to me that's that's nonsense to blame players' contracts. This comes down to the owner, comes down to probably people at board level. It's pretty much been, after a very strong finish this season... A very big high note for not only Arsenal fans, but maybe neutrals who who like to see who like to see strong strong big sides. But this particular laying yeah. off of staff members hasn't gone down well. It doesn't look good. What's your thoughts on sort of the how Arsenal well, have handled I, that? I agree. I agree because the the, the waited until sort of the you know, after the FA Cup, you know, the, they've announced this, and it's instantly you've got rival fans on it. You've got the own our own Arsenal fans jumping on it, you know, blaming Mesut Ozil because he's on three hundred and fifty grand a week. But the boy, you know, that's the contract he's been given. Um, that's mistakes that were made by Gazidis, who who's left. He's now at Milan. So I, I agree, you can't be blaming um, player contracts. And you know, I seen um, I seen someone actually asking the your, your Twitter page, you know, are you going to talk about this and. Um, I nearly actually replied to it, but I thought, no, I might as well just leave it until we're actually doing it. But um, 
I think for me, and I've spoken to a few people about this, that um, as football fans, we have this sentiment, like we're this almost romantic quality that our football, our romantic um, sort of like connection with our clubs, that our clubs are morally on the same level as us. And, you know, the furlough, when, when Spurs, think Liverpool tried to furlough um, their players, like there was uproar. I even seen Arsenal fans saying, not my club, we're too much class and all this kind of stuff. But what a lot of modern football fans have need to need to start like, realising is that football clubs are businesses. They're not the same as the they once were. Like you always get people saying Arsenal are the classy club. You know, they have a touch of class. Everything that they did on and off the pitch was, you know, had a real, you know, class and etiquette to it. But those days for me are kind of gone. And as soon as Arsenal sold um, the majority of their shares to Stan Kroenke, to me that just died. You know, football is <clears throat> more about money than it is about um, the fans and stuff. You, know, you only got to look at the, the random kickoff times you've got for, for certain matches, like Friday nights at like six o'clock and stuff. And all the Europa games, play, you know, five to six on a Thursday night, you know, the match going fan is getting screwed over. If you're a working man or a kid at school, you're you're taking time off to go to a football game. They don't care. It's all about money. So when it comes down again to the question of like well, the PR on goal about 55 staff, yeah, it's bad crack. It's it's awful. I, I hate to think 55 people got their jobs you know made redundant when we're going to be offering a 32 year old winger 100 grand a week. But you have to almost separate those two types of you know, they split the club into two things you know you've got your the revenue that is brought in to then pay the play the non-playing staff you've got you know the money that's set aside to pay players and to pay um like a bombing contracts being turned to be around 250 grand a week but as i said earlier if you get mkhitaryan off the books at 180 grand and let's say a socrates and then a, an el many you know, that's three hundred, four hundred thousand pound per week that you're getting rid of, and you're then giving it to him. So it has no direct correlation with the playing staff. I've read a few things like we closed the Finsbury Park Arsenal store, and it has been declining over the last few years because it's a little bit further away the, um, to the Emirates than what Highbury was. Obviously, you've got online. It's not just killing football clubs. It's online. Like high street shops are suffering because online's so big, and you know if you let staff go from that store that you've shut down, does the people that are complaining about the job redundancies expect Stan Crunky to go? Okay, yeah, well, sure, just give them a job somewhere else. He's a businessman. He's making. He's, there's a reason why he's worth billions, and that's because he he's not. He's going to make those decisions, and they're tough decisions. But every big company in the world does it. You know, you know banks, Barclays, RBF, them guys are. You know, making millions, billions per year, but they still make redundancies across the board. And I think again, I think it just goes back to that like ideology that we're football clubs are you know about the people and they're like the the working class, and we wouldn't do that. But unfortunately, we would. That's just the way it is. It's you know, if there's job roles that are not longer needed because we now have no fans going to the stadium or for whatever reason we're bringing in less money or we've burnt through some of the funds that um, we've had to use to, to not furlough people, then I think it's probably the right decision, but it's a, it's a shit one. It's one that doesn't look good you know, when you're going to announce new players' contracts and stuff, but I think it's that's just business and football's all about business. I think I think you've hit the nail on the head and it's, it's really, in my opinion, 
I was very much for the season being voided purposely because you couldn't get fans in the stadium. I thought football without yeah. fans, it's pointless, it's nothing, I don't care. Watching it on TV whenever there's no fans in the stadium, to me it's a nonsense. It's purely about not having to refund any TV money. That's the only thing that I could relate continuing yeah. the season without fans to. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of the business side. And I think that even the TV deal and the games and stuff like that and being on and pushing through the games and stuff, it's actually great for the nation because it gives people something to focus on on TV and something to watch. I like that. But for me, the purpose behind it is, fa- is money. It's not. To, it's just yeah, not to refund this money. And I think you're completely spot on there with the clubs being run as a business. Um, there's a brilliant podcast. It's maybe about eight months old now. It was Norwich's director of football on BBC football daily if you ever get a chance go and listen to it he talks about them going up and going down and how they operate in the community and stuff like that it's a phenomenal insight to the how it's a football club run as a business and i I thought it was really really enjoyable but i agree completely with with what you said there in terms of the business and the football club and we do have that morality where we do think oh that's wrong they make x amount of money but at the end of the day this like cronky's not worth you know 500 yeah. million or whatever he's worth because he can't make the tough bad decisions um and he's he obviously has made this decision in view of his finance a view of his finances and it's not good it's not nice but it is what it is and that's ultimately what businessmen at the top level have to do but the wrap up neil i think that's a very obvious who your player of the season is going to be i want your player of the season and then mernsey will go to you for player of the season and we'll finish off for the day um, do you know what? I, I think if this was before the Man City and the Chelsea Cup Cup final, I would say Bernd Leno would have had a massive shout of getting Player of the Year because even though Arsenal's defending had been appalling at times and you know, we're not exactly we weren't exactly pulling up trees in the league, Bernd Leno has been like Superman in nets. I mean, his save ratio was ridiculous. And there were games where we were getting peppered left, right and centre. Like teams were throwing everything at us and he was saving everything. Uh, I think he would have been a good, uh, in with a good shout of it. But um, I think it has to go to Bamiang, doesn't it really? I mean, I think, you know, we, they always say the big players step up, you know, in big games. And that's exactly what Bamiang's done. He scored the goals in the semi-final. You know, he scored the goals in the final. You know, I, I, I really, it's, it speaks for itself at the end of the day, doesn't it? I think it's a yeah. and I don't really think anybody can argue with that. Yeah, Mernsey, what about you? You see him, same boat? Exactly, exactly the same. I would have given it to Leno, but obviously he got injured. And then, like, Aubameyang just, he's stuck out in the wing. He's still one of the top goal scorers in the league. He's he's scoring goals out in the world. It's not even just as on the pitch, I think off the pitch as well. He's just top class, like. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with Neil. I think you've hit the, a, a very big point there, too. You said when he, he's played out in the wing, it's, you know, Vardy's playing up front, Ings is playing up front, Jimenez is playing up front, Aubameyang's sort of playing out in the wide, wide and cutting inside. Yeah, and, I, and, and he's I tracking think, back. He's, he's, yeah. he's defending as well. It says, it says a lot about his goal record, too, you know, that he's scoring those and he's not playing right through the middle. But, yeah, completely, completely agree with both of you there in who you're choice of player of the season would be but Ernzo you first thanks so much for giving me about an hour maybe an hour and a half of your time today really really enjoyed it no pleasure thank you absolute pleasure Nailers pleasure as always 
Sorry, Potsy. Can I ask you a number of questions here? Far away. So question one. Has Harry Kane won anything for Spurs? <laughs> maybe, maybe a golden boot trophy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Has Harry Kane won No, he won has not won, won any team okay. trophy. Right. Has Matt Smith, an Arsenal youth team and reserve team player, played any minutes for the Arsenal first team? No, he has not. <laughs> has said player won the FA Cup? Said player has won the FA Cup. So has said player won more than Harry Kane, the best striker to ever play for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club? He has indeed. Thank you. We can end the show now. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure. Neil, always nice for you to troll someone, whether it be Troy Deeney or a couple of Spurs fans. <laughs> Never a chore. I told you, Arsenal, Arsenal will always get people in the long run. We might make <laughs> loads of scrapes ourselves, but football is a funny old game. Uh, and look, remember, I always hold a grudge and don't forget. Pleasure, gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of your evening. You too. Thank Cheers. You. Thank you for listening to the podcast with me, your host, Darren. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the podcast. Thanks for your time. Stay safe and tune in next time.